That was really good, wasn't it? <laughs> in fact, I think the best of the service is over with. What you think? We'll see. Ooh. Hey, listen, you know I was reading this morning in Luke 8, and I think this is for somebody specifically. And, uh, you know, in Luke 8, a, a lot of things happen, uh, but one of them was the, uh, well, there's several, um, first there was a man that was healed of multiple, like a legion of demons. Y'all remember that story? This is also in Luke 5, also or Mark 5, but, and then uh, Jesus left that place where that man was delivered from a legion, like a several thousand uh, demons that ran into the, to the pigs. And they drowned themselves, which that was, I think pigs were kind of worshipped in that area of the country. Uh, that's kind of what that was trying to tell us, you know. But then, uh, you know, because you think that's kind of a random thing, man. Why do those pigs run into the water and die? I mean, the demons went in them. Obviously, that's what happened to them. It was really, it was something more spiritual that God was trying to say. But then Jesus... Uh, and the disciples went uh, and crossed back over uh, into Galilee, and this is what happened. A man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus and said, Would you come and pray for my daughter that she's really sick? Um, and so he was going to pray for her, and then there was the woman with the issue of blood. Y'all remember that story? And just a throng of people, and she got healed just by touching Jesus, touching the hem of his garment, and, uh, and of course, we had, they had that conversation with her, it's really a, just an amazing story, and then Jesus headed on to go to Jairus's house, and the, the people, it says, the people from the house came to Jesus, and came to Jairus, and said, don't bother the teacher, your daughter is dead, and that, that was just like a tragic moment. Uh, and then Jesus said, this is what Jesus said to Jairus. He said this, don't be afraid, just believe. That's what he said, don't be afraid, just believe. And that's what I feel like God is saying to somebody in this room, is don't be afraid, just believe. That's what you need to do right now. Don't be afraid, whatever it is, just believe. And of course, the rest of the story is Jesus went to the house and said, hey, why are y'all carrying on so much? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And he went in there and spoke to her. And, re- and, it, and the, it says her spirit returned to her. Her spirit returned to her. She was dead, but Jesus was looking. He wasn't living in the moment. He was looking into the future at that moment of what was about to happen. And she, he lifted her up alive. And so I just really want to encourage you this morning if whatever it is in your life, don't be afraid. Just believe. It's a time for belief, you know, a time for real belief. And if you'll just take that and let that become a living word in you, it'll give you the ability to believe. Amen? Yeah. I like that. I think that's a great word. Amen? The Lord's good. Let me read First Kings 18. I'm going to read one, verse 1 through 6. I don't know if you remember or not. It doesn't matter to me if you don't remember. But, you know, I've been going through the life of Elijah Last week I didn't because of Marlon's T-shirt. He kind of distracted me. But that was a good distraction. But I believe the Lord's going to release the spirit of Elijah into the earth. I think he is releasing the spirit of Elijah into the earth uh, already. And the the Elijah spirit, like Marlon preached about last year in December, has a lot to do with restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the hearts of the Father, to, to avert the curse that the enemy is trying to bl- bring on the people of God. It's, it, it breaks the curse, and it, so it's just this anointing. That's a, a big part of it. Another part of the Spirit of Elijah is to make ready, make a people ready for the Lord, to prepare a people for what God wants to do. And God wants to do some stuff. I'm just telling you that. He want, and He's trying to prepare our hearts and get us out of where we've been and get us into a new line of thinking uh, so we can begin to connect with what God is saying and doing. And it says this uh, in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. It says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year 
saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And I just want to really reemphasize that, that the word of the Lord is coming to people. Okay? And it's a word that people have been waiting on and looking for. Uh, it's prayers. As a matter of fact, I believe it's things that you probably have forgotten or things that you have just let go of. But here's what God's going to do for people. This is what I see God doing. There's promises from God from your past that never happened. Does anybody have that? Or does anybody don't have that? That's what I'd like to know. I mean, (laughs) I've not met that person. But there's promises from the Lord. And many of us have let go of things in our heart because... That's what you do. You come to a point where you just let it go because it's beating you to death. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a promise where it just beat you? It beat you to pieces and you got tired of getting beat by it because it never came to pass and you tried to get it and you did everything you were supposed to do and it still didn't happen. So you come to a place in your life where you just let it go. You're glad to let it go. It's like goodbye and good riddance. It's like move on. Let's get into the new administration here. Let's move on. And uh, so I think that's what's happened. But here's the thing. God's going to speak to you again, but it's going to be different. And this is why it's going to be different, because you're different. And you're going to hear uh, the same word, but it's going to be different to you. You're going to hear it different. You're going to see it different, because you're in a different place, for the better or worse. Some of you, you've grown tremendously. Some of us have not. We've regressed spiritually. But either way, you're different. And God's still going to speak to you. It doesn't matter if you've regressed. I want to just tell you that right now. It really doesn't matter today. That's, that's water over the dam, so to speak. Let's move on. Let's find and hear what God's got to say to you today. Amen. And, and you're going to hear it different. And it's going to do something to you. It's going to spark something into you. It's going to bring some life into you. That's what happened to Elijah there. He had been waiting th- over three years for God to do what he said he was going to do. He had gone through a bunch of stuff. He had been, pre- been prepared for that moment. And suddenly it says the word of the Lord came. And this is the truth about the word of the Lord. We can do everything we can to get that word to come. But we can't get that word to come. Ultimately, God has to release the word. You know what I'm talking about? We can prepare. Elijah was prepared. He did everything God told him to do. He obeyed. He didn't falter in his faith. He actually did a lot of awesome stuff like raise somebody from the dead for the first time in the Bible while he was waiting on the word of the Lord to come to him. So in the meantime, God wants to encourage people, don't flounder in your life. Raise somebody from the dead if you need to. Right? That's what he did. He raised somebody from the dead. He did miracles uh, while he was waiting on for his word to come, man, can you believe what's going to happen once his word gets here? I mean, if he was already doing that. See, God's already put stuff in you guys. Don't sit on it no more. Let that thing arise in you. Let it come forth. And somewhere in the middle, of it, God's going to come. The practical thing I would really encourage you to do right now at this season is pursue friendship with the Lord. John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't, doesn't know what his master is doing. That's what he said. A servant doesn't know. A servant is in the dark. He's just taking orders. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. Getting, you know, get up, go to bed, wash the, wash the clothes, clean the house, do the toilets. You know, and when you've done all that, fix supper. And be happy that you've got a, a roof over your head. Right? That's a servant. Right, Becky? <laughs> Be happy I fix suffer for you. I don't know what you're complaining about. But a friend connects with the heart. The friend connects with the heart. And see, that's what God, I see God doing. He wants us to, to connect us with his heart right now as friendship. And here's, here's the way, and I've really, it's been a plague in some ways to me trying to learn how to be a friend with the Lord. Okay, it really has not been an easy journey for me to learn friendship because you really have to learn friendship with Him. But I will tell you this, if you sincerely cry out to the Lord for that friendship relationship, He'll respond to you. He, he really will respond to you. He really will help you. He really will begin to lead you into friendship because ultimately that's what it's going to take. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to lead us into it. We can't figure it out. But the, the thing is... Is the Bible says it really says this in Proverbs to be to have a friend, be a friend. In other words, we got to make ourselves available to allow the Lord 
to, to cultivate that friendship relationship with him. And God can be an amazing friend to have, uh, right? I mean, you know, I think. Yes, sir, my God, amen. And then at verse 2 it says, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Israel, or in Samaria, which was, what they, that was northern Israel, Samaria. Uh, and Ahab uh, had called Obadiah. This is a new character in this story, which I think is a really important character. I really want to talk to, about Obadiah. And he was in charge of, of, of Ahab's house. That's what, who this man was. Uh, in other words, he would be equivalent to, since we're talking about, you know, we're thinking about the elections and the White House, he, Obadiah would be the equivalent of the White House chief of staff. That's who Obadiah is. He had a very powerful position. I looked up some of the, and of course, not, all this doesn't apply, but it does in a sense, what the chief of staff does uh, for the, in the White House. He selects and supervises key staff. He selects and supervises key staff. He controls access to the Oval Office and the president. This is Obadiah. He was doing the same, except it was Ahab he was doing this for. And he manages communication and information flow. He negotiates with Congress, executive branch agencies, and external political groups to implement the president's agenda. So it's a very, very... uh, Key position, it has to be someone who's very trusted by the president, the chief of staff. And that's who Obadiah was. He held a very powerful position, a very key position. He was very trusted by Ahab, who the Bible declares was the most wicked king. Now, this is important. The most wicked king that was ever in Israel. And here you have a man named Obadiah, who was his right-hand man, okay, right in the middle of the darkest, most wicked government that ever existed in Israel, where Baal worship, sacrificed their children, perverse, sexual perversion beyond our, even our imagination. And we've got terrible imagination sometimes. It was beyond all of that, okay? And here's a man right in the middle of it. And this is what is interesting, what the Scripture says about Obadiah. Now, this, listen, this is the Holy Spirit's testimony about this man. This is what the Holy Spirit has to say about Obadiah, this man at the right hand of the most wicked man on earth. It says, now Obadiah, this is in parentheses, feared the Lord greatly. Okay, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That's pretty powerful. For so it was while Jezebel mastered the, the prophets. Remember, she was the queen, so he was having to interact with Jezebel probably every day of his life. He had to probably have a conversation with Jezebel. Wouldn't that be a great day? This morning, well, i got to meet with Jezebel at 930. That's going to be a great meeting. You know, i got to go talk to her and find out what she wants to do today and figure out what I'm not going to do and somehow trick her into thinking I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Um, she was killing the prophets of the Lord. And the Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hid them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Isn't that powerful? He took 100 men, or, or 100 men and women, 100 prophets, and kept them alive out of his own pocket. Out of his own pocket. In a time of severe famine, when water was scarce, food was scarce, this guy was keeping prophets alive. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Real, real powerful. In fact, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's an analogy there. God, God himself, took Elijah and hid him by the brook and fed him every day with the ravens and fed him and gave him water from the brook. You get the hint? He hid him there. Then he, then he moved him and hid him in the widow's house where he was cared for. Obadiah was doing the same thing that God, Obadiah was doing for a hundred men what God was doing for one man. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a powerful analogy when you start thinking about it like that? When you start looking at it like that? So here's something that's important. And before I say it, I must give this credit to Becky Davis. 
because she's the one who gave me this revelation. Remember in the Bible where Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the desert? And one of the things the devil did is he took Jesus up on top of the temple and said, hey, throw yourself down. The angels will surely catch you. Quoted him a scripture that they won't let you dash your foot against the stone. Remember that? And Jesus, you know, went on to just scorch the devil, give him a better scripture that applied in that situation. Well, the temptation was this. It's the temptation of the spectacular. Okay? The temptation of spectacular. It wasn't... It was pretty spectacular what God was doing in one sense. But nobody knew it, right, with, with Elijah. Nobody knew ravens were taking him food. Nobody knew Elijah was... Nobody knew Elijah raised that boy from the dead. Only a very few people knew it. Okay? See, a lot of times, God, God does amazing miracles like he did with Elijah. But a lot of times, God does a miracle with a person named Obadiah. Are y'all getting this? You see, a lot of times we're looking for some spectacular thing from God, and, and, and God doesn't really want us to do that. God wants to do spectacular things. God does spectacular things all the time. Here's what the problem is. The most spectacular things that God has ever done, ever done not many people knew about it. It was hidden. I mean, one of the like, most amazing miracles ever was Mary, the wife of Joseph, became impregnated by the Holy Spirit and had a baby and never had a relationship with another man. That's pretty spectacular, right? I mean, like when it, on miracle level, like, duh, seriously? <laughs> Some, that actually, how many people knew it? Not many people. Think about the other, one of the other greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. He rose from the dead. How many people knew it? Not many people. 500 people, they say. He said he appeared to 500 people. You know, Jesus could have, you ever thought about this, how he came to earth, came as a baby? That's unspectacular, right? Because babies are born every day. He could have come like in a chariot. A golden chariot could have split the skies open. Jesus could have come riding down on it. And everybody would have known, oh, he's something special because he came out of heaven on a chariot. But everybody didn't know that. Everybody didn't, didn't know. Only a very few people knew that baby was very special. Only a few people that God gave them the ability to see that. So I think one of the things that, that the spirit of Elijah is going to do, he's going to do a lot of stuff. But if we're, not, if we're looking for the spectacular, we're going to miss what God's doing. And so I, I really believe that's an important message from Obadiah's life, that Obadiah was doing some powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. He, was, he saved a hundred men's life. Imagine that. Right? And imagine the risk that he took to do that. I mean, this guy was risking his life. Because you know Jezebel would have hung him upside down and let him die over many days if she'd have caught him. And he was doing it out of his own pocket. He was doing it out of his own pocket. He, he was doing the work of the Lord from the money that... Ahab was paying him, which was probably a lot of money. He probably made a lot of money to do what he was doing. But he was not, he was taking that money and some of that money at least and feeding a hundred people. It, it would be a lot of money. I wanted to read this scripture. Are y'all okay? You're just looking at me all squirrely. I wanted to read this scripture that I read uh, this today that was it's Luke 8. It says, Certain women who had been healed of evil spirits. And infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Now, you know she was a rough old girl. I mean, she had seven demons in her. So, you know, she kind of come from the rough side of the track, and she got delivered. But I promise you, she had the scars of those demons still working in her life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people, and those scars are scars of grace. They're scars of glory. God doesn't erase all that and suddenly make you like this really perfect porcelain doll looking person i'm sure she was kind of like well she mary uh, hey mary madeline is kind of a rough gal man i mean you know she had seven demons at one time 
I think so. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward. Now, here's another person whose husband worked for Herod. Okay? And Susanna. But this is the thing. And many others, listen to this, who provided for Jesus, for him, from their substances. Now, I think we, sometimes we get the idea that every day when it was lunch, Jesus would ask the disciples, how much bread do you have? Oh, we got one left. Let me multiply that so everybody can eat. No, that didn't happen every day. Jesus did do a powerful miracle of multiplying the bread a few times, feeding thousands of people with a little bit. But day in and day out, this is how Jesus was being provided for. He had these, these people taking care of him, and him and the disciples, giving them you know, uh, offerings to eat their food. That's, just, that's a miracle. That's just a miracle. And see, that's really the, the heart of God for us to see that in Obadiah, God is wanting us to be the miracle. He's wanting to use us to do miraculous things because these people's names are listed in the Bible who, who provided for Jesus. There really is a calling on the church to do this kind of miracles, and all of us can do these kind of miracles. Maybe not all of us can uh, raise the dead, but we can take what God has put in our hands. And that's a question. That's a question. What is in your hand? That's the question this morning. What's in your hand? What has God given you? What kind of? I'm talking natural resources, spiritual resources, spiritual gifting. And that's what you and I have been given by God to put to use right now. I mean, and, and so you need to ask yourself, what do I have? What has God given to me? What has God imparted to me? And am I really using that? Am I really giving that to God and to the, to, to the ministry? And I really appreciate people who have this Obadiah calling on their life. I really do. I thank you for, you know, doing that. Let me finish reading the rest of that section. Are you all right? I got some more things to say, but I'm going to have to step on the gas here. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, and Obadiah feared the Lord, and, and he did all that stuff. And uh, it says, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets, hid them, fitted to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said, that was all in the parentheses, because Ahab didn't know this was going on. Nobody knew it was going on. Okay, but now... We're knowing this going, had went on. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to feed the horses and mules, to keep the horses and mules alive. Like he didn't really wasn't worried about all the people that were dying. But I read something about Ahab. I just want to tell you this. I got, Ahab, historically, uh, archaeological findings that he had massive stables of horses and mules. He was big in to horses and mules. And so when everything was coming down and people were dying all around him, who did he want to make sure was taken care of? It's just a great little testimony in the Bible of the character of Ahab. I got all these mules and horses. I got to keep them alive. I don't, I, the people, they can die. I, was, I thought that's pretty cool. You know. And so let's go in and find water. Go to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. And Ahab went one way and Obadiah went the other way. And so they're off marching out through the land looking for water. In verse 7 it says, As Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I. Go tell your, your master, Elijah is here. So he said, how have I sinned that you're delivering your servant into the Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lived, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could, that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master. And, and Elijah was living right under Ahab's nose. That's the cool thing. He was searching all over the world, and he was sitting there in his backyard, just living it up, eating and drinking, supernaturally. And so here's 
Obadiah. He's like, dude, you can't just do this to me because if I go back and tell him that you're here and the Lord takes you off somewhere, he's going to kill me. He's a ruthless man. He'll kill me if, if I tell him this and it's not true. So, you know, Obadiah really understood how dangerous a situation he was in and he was really afraid at that moment. He was scared, okay? He was scared to go and tell him because he was afraid that Elijah would just disappear, okay? And so he, I'm not going to read the rest of it. He went through and told Elijah, listen, haven't you heard what I've done? You know, I've saved these people's lives and now you're putting me in this difficult situation. A lot of people have found fault with Obadiah for acting that way and being afraid, but I don't find fault with them, you know, because I think all of us have to deal with, with fear, and, and we're put in situations where we're going to have to face fear, okay? And we really need to face it, and we need to really not give in to it. That's, that's the thing. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference. It's like Sarah said, is don't give up. Uh, and then Elijah promised him in verse 15, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So that's pretty cool. All right, so here's the thing. So you got two guys. Now, here, this is important. you got two men. Both of them have real callings from the Lord on them. Okay? you got Elijah who's been, been on this track of preparation. Okay, for three, over three years, God's been preparing him for something. You got Obadiah, who's in a completely different circumstance, completely different situation, day in and day out for the last three years or or however long he's been there. He's been living right there in that palace, working covertly, okay, covertly as a believer in, in a very wicked and dark place. Okay, and so Elijah comes to him, and and if you put yourself in Elijah's shoes, you can imagine Elijah would probably be having a little bit of a difficulty with him, right? Hey, the dude, the guy, the worst guy in the world, the guy wants to kill me, and you're working for him. You know, you you hear what I'm saying? That might might could be a thought that came into Elijah's head, because there's always this conflict that you're going to find when it really comes right down to it between believers and their callings, okay? Because some believers are like Elijah. They have a very overt, challenging, confronted ministry. They're looking out at the outside, speaking into a situation. Do you know what I mean? Okay, then you have these other believers who are in the situation that this other guy's trying to speak into. They're the ones who's living there, okay, and they don't have such a overt ministry. They have more of a ministry of influence. They have more of a ministry of trying to affect the situation from within. Okay, and both of them are very legitimate ministries. And see, I think that's really where the church really has, has to come to. That there's more than one way to, to transform our culture. There's, there's more than one way to transform our culture. Everybody is not called to go out there and confront and declare and speak and be down on the people who don't. And that's the way the church has really kind of presented this thing. I'm hoping, I'm hoping with all those marches that there were people right in the middle of all that that nobody knew jack about those people. But they were carrying something with them called the Holy Spirit right in the middle. And they were releasing the Holy Spirit all around them. See, I think that's what we got to learn. There's overt, which means outward. There's covert, which means undercover. And it's not that Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord. He was a very courageous man. He was a a man who did things, yet he was trying to influence this place because God had put him there. And we all had to find the place that God's put us. I wanted to read Matthew. Are you okay for a few more minutes? Come on. Just give me the yes or no. Okay. Matthew 13, 33. In another parable he spoke to him, the kingdom of heaven is like what? Leaven. Everybody say leaven. Which a woman took and did what? Hid. Everybody say hid. And three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Jesus said the kingdom is like that. It's like taking something and hiding it somewhere. And because and this thing that you hid called leaven, it's going to spread. It's going to multiply. And when I went to 
to a certain country one time and visited the underground church for the first time, I, I saw the reality of that verse. I was kind of like shocked at how everything there is hidden. They're not trying to promote. They don't have websites. They don't have signs welcoming people to their churches. They don't have any of that. They're like leaven that's trying to... And you can be in a, a, a building, like a, a, a multi-story apartment building, and there can be multiple gatherings of believers in that building that are happening at the same time, but none of them know about each other on purpose because it's all illegal. And God really wants us to see that, that that's a, it's, and it's very powerful. They're being very powerful, Levin. Sometimes a lot more powerful than our American out-in-your-face culture of going after people the you know the way we do yes i think it's good well i wanted to tell you this one little story uh I, thank you becky i really love you but you know becky's not a liar when it comes to that she is my absolute worst critic there ever was if i do bad she has no mercy that was terrible like why didn't you stop i mean let's go home <laughs> yeah I'm going to be done quickly, but I wanted to tell you this little story because I really do have a personal story on this, and I'm not great, okay, at this stuff. Uh, it's, I want to read Acts 5.15. This is Peter, and it says, So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. This is awesome, isn't it? That at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. The shadow of Peter. And, and people were getting healed because of his shadow. Now, that's an amazing story until you really start thinking about it. You, it, it gets more amazing when you think about it. It's, it's one, okay, it wasn't his shadow that brought the healing, right? Because the shadow really has no substance. It was the Holy Spirit that had overshadowed Peter. And because Peter was overshadowed, his very presence was causing a move of God in the streets. People were getting touched because He showed up, not because of what He said, but because of what was on Him. Are y'all with this? Now, here's my little personal story about it. And if you really knew me then, you would think that can't be so. (laughs) Becky says it still can't be so. Well, this was back, actually, when we first got married, back in the 70s. And I was a young Christian, and I worked in this lab, this electronics lab. I was working like an electronic technician repairing electronic equipment. It was a cool job. You know, had all these electronic stuff and oscilloscopes and lights and graphs. And so that's what I did all day. I would work on stuff and repair stuff and industrial electronic stuff. And so there was a few other technicians there that worked and did this and there was this one particular guy his name was Ken and Ken this is what Ken was Ken his he did the electronic technician job in the daytime but at, and Ken was a musician at night Ken played in a house band at the most notorious topless bar and strip lounge in Charlotte at the time that's what he did at night, just so he would have a place to play music, okay, because he loved music, and you know how musicians are, they got to they gotta do it, so he got him a, a gig in a house band doing that, well, you can imagine that, how that would kind of affect a person, and you know, the stories he would have to tell at work every day, you know, about what happened last night at the, at the topless lounge, and so, you know, but Ken and I, became, you know, friend. We had a relationship. We had a friendship. And one day, Ken said, Byron, I need to ask you a question. This was at lunch. Everybody was gone. Just me and him were sitting around together. He said, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure. What's the question? He said, there's something different about you, Byron. What is it? I want to know what's different about you. And I just said, well, Ken, this is what's different about me. Two years ago, if I'd have known you, I would have been going down to the lounge with you to hear you play. I said, but I was, I was saved. I got saved. And, and God came into my life. Christ came into my life. And that, so now I'm a different person. I'm, I'm not the same person that I was. That's what's different about me. And 
And Becky could tell you then and now that I was no picture of Christian virtue. Right? I was not a, a picture of Christian virtue in those days. And I'm still not. But I'll tell you this. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had the Holy Spirit resting in my life on some level. And that was what was happening to Ken. Is Ken was being affected not by what I was saying, because I was never talking to him about the Lord, because to be honest with you, I didn't feel like I had anything to say to anybody about God. I didn't even feel worthy because I, was, had, my own, I had lots of struggles in my life. I, I was a young believer struggling to try to walk out a Christian life decently and try to learn how to be married decently and not be a jerk. So I didn't feel like I had really much to say to anybody, really, to tell you the truth. Because I didn't really feel very worthy to say. But see, the Holy Spirit was resting on me. And so this is what Ken told me. I want to tell you this. Ken said, Byron, I know all about God. If there is a God. He said, I'm not sure there is. But if there is a God, I am very angry at Him. He said, because when I was a little boy, my daddy was a really successful businessman. And for some reason, he got in his mind that he wanted to be a, a a minister. So he quit his successful businessman career to go to Wake Forest University, which at the time you could go there, I think maybe you can still now, to become a Baptist preacher. And so that's what he was doing. But because he was so successful before, he owned an airplane. And he had his pilot's license. And so one of the things he did to make money while he was going to school to be a preacher was he would fly executives and government officials to places in his plane because he had a lot of connections. He said, and God either let my daddy get killed or God killed my daddy because he crashed the airplane. He said, I just don't really know why he did that, if he did it. Because someone had told him, your daddy's dead because God thought it was best for him to be dead. And I always thought, boy, that's a bad theology. I thought it was a bad theology back then. Like, how could that be God? Be careful about what you tell people when disaster strikes, especially kids, especially little boys. And they grow up despising God and the talent, the gifting that was in this guy, which he was a very talented and gifted guy, he takes it and goes to a topless bar because somehow God was a bad person over what happened to his daddy. That's terrible, isn't it? And so we really need to, that's why that theology about is God good is a really important theology. Now, he may have had to work out that anyway, but I just don't believe God did that to his day. And I told him then, I said, I don't think God did it, man. I said, I can't prove it in the Bible because I don't know enough about the Bible to tell you that, but I don't believe God killed your daddy. And somehow, I think you just need to ask God to talk to you about what happened and let him, you and him work it out because I can't, you know, I don't know enough to tell you. So that's, that's really, that was my little story on being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Because God wants to over, and see, God is, every one of us are in situations where we can't be very overt with our Christian. And don't feel bad if you can't, okay? Realize that God can use you powerfully, whether you, you know that old statement, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I used to not believe that, but I, I believe it now. I really believe that we can preach the gospel powerfully and if God gives us words or gives us in a place to use words, that's awesome. But otherwise, let the Holy Spirit be on us and rest on us and begin to affect people around us. That's what Obadiah was doing. He was having a big impact. Not nothing like Elijah was having, but he was having an impact in the place that God put him and with the purposes that God had for his life. Because Elijah could have never done what he was doing. He could have never done it. And he could have never done what Elijah was doing. I think this is, this is I'm fixing to finish. But here's, here's a couple of things I've realized in my life about, people do, about people's ministry. Is people are insecure about their ministry. Okay, everybody's insecure. So when, if you're an Obadiah, when an Elijah shows up, you feel insecure. You don't feel like you're doing good enough. You feel like you should be doing what he's doing. 
And so there's something wrong with me because he's doing this, but look at me. I'm just over here working for this wicked king. Okay? And it's because we're, we're insecure about who we are. We're insecure about what God's called us to be and God's called us to do. But what God wants to get us to see is everybody has a different call and everybody has a different anointing. And God puts dip people in different places, in different situations in life. And God wants to use us wherever we're at. And it doesn't mean we're going to go stand up at work and, on your, and start preaching to everybody and then everybody hates you over it. And won't speak to you for months. Because I work with guys who did that. And they were even fussing at me like, why don't you have a Bible out on your desk? I got one on mine. Like, well, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know if I should because I would probably make people not like God the way I am. You know? Are y'all following this? And see, I believe that's why a lot, it's strange to me that Obadiah shows up in this great story about Elijah. It's strange to me that God would highlight a person like that. And I think part of it is, is, is everybody wants to be like Elijah and call fire down. And God is saying everybody's not going to call fire down. But everybody can release the presence of the Lord wherever you're at. You can release God. You can, you can find a way even around other Christians who don't believe like you. Oh, I've been in some situations in churches where if, if I'd have acted like this, they would have like hated me. Your message is important that you're carrying. It's important enough for you to find a way to release it and communicate it where everybody's not just totally offended at you. You hear what I'm saying? Because you can have an amazing revelation, but you can beat people silly with it. And so what we had to do is ask the Lord for wisdom to give what we have, to be what we're supposed to be in the situations that He places us in life. And that's, that's really what I feel like Obadiah really teaches, is that he found a way by using the wisdom of God to be an effective person right in the middle of a dark place. And, that, and then when Elijah shows up, he's, he's going to kind of stir up some stuff, but that was his job to stir it up. And so each of us has to become... Secure in who we are in the Lord and secure in what God's called us to do. Are y'all following this? And not compare yourself to other people and not try to be other people. One of the things, and I'm ending right now, when he was... I am ending, Becky. Don't be making no comments. One of the things that when they were talking about surrendering, and I think they said something like, you know, surrendering yourself or surrendering something to God... And this is one of the things that I personally was surrendering this morning during worship. It had to do with my identity, okay, of who I am. And the labels that I would put on myself or the other labels that people put on me. Because when you have these labels, you're going to try to live up to those labels. And you're going to put pressure on yourself to be something that you can't be. Y'all following that? So I was saying, Lord, you know what? I'm going to surrender who I am to you because I don't, I want who you say I am. And if I don't have any labels on me, I want it to be the label that you put on me. That's the label I want on me. Because I don't want to try to perform and I don't want to try to live up to something that I can't live up to. You know, I want to function out of realness. I want to move out of realness. I want to minister out of realness. I want to, I want, that's what I want. Of who you say I am. And I've never really thought about, you know, surrender in that sense of surrender my identity or my wishful identity, what I would like to be, and just surrendering all that and letting the Lord give me my identity and tell me who I am. And, you know, and if you have this Elijah thing on you where you're supposed to, where you have a very overt, powerful ministry, I really encourage that. Do that. But if you have an Obadiah thing working in your life, I really encourage you to do that. You know, both are legitimate. Both are from God. Both are the way God works in the earth. And I will tell you this. You're gonna, there, there are going to be times in your life where you may have an overt ministry, but there's going to be times He's going to put you in a place where it needs to be covert. In other words, there's going to be times when you need to stop. What you're, you need to stop your mouth. You need to stop talking. 
when you're trying to speak into a situation. There's a, there's a time when the Lord says, the best thing you can do not right now is shut up. <laughs> that happens to a lot of parents, right? <laughs> the best counsel I ever got on parenting was, sometimes you just need to bite your, bite your tongue. That was the best counsel I ever got on child, child raising. Is You need to be quiet. You need to stop. And just pray. And God will do what God does. All righty, amen. Oh, Becky's going to come here and try to bail this thing out. That's good. Just thought the scripture was so good because I really feel like the Lord is saying sometimes we get caught up in so much of wanting to do the spectacular that we really fail to see that the kingdom is at work all the time. And the scripture is so good uh, that Jesus is the parable. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when full grown, it is the largest of plants. It becomes a large bush, and the birds of the sky come and dwell in its branches. And isn't that good that as we allow just the kingdom, that seed to expand in us, people come. They come. So just they'll come around you. And it doesn't take the spectacular. It just doesn't take that. And I believe it is a temptation for us that really holds us back from the kingdom when we're all the time stretching and trying to go after that spectacular stuff when really the kingdom works in small seed. So, amen. (laughs) Byron was talking about, you know, friendship with God. You know the best way to have friendship with God is the same way to have friendship with other people. You hang out with them more. And you hang out with them not doing spectacular things. Just, you know, I know when I ride my motorcycle, I ride my motorcycle with the Lord all the time. Usually when I'm driving down the road in my car, I'm with the Lord. If I'm sitting in front of the fireplace, and this may mess up your theology, but if I'm sitting outside smoking a cigar, I'm smoking it with the Lord. I really am. I love spending time just with the Lord. And, and having that fellowship. And probably in all the relationships we can have with the Lord, probably the one I struggle with the least is friendship with God because we hang out all the time together. So just a little practical on that. Man, that's a good word today, isn't it? God is releasing some covert ops. Yeah, no, for real. How many of you guys want to get on that? You want to be some covert and overt. Uh, why don't we? Yeah. I might feel bad if I do do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, think about it. Obadiah had a big mention in the scriptures in the story of Elijah. He was preserving 100 prophets. When Elijah felt totally abandoned again when Jezebel was bearing down on him, the Lord says, I got 7,000 prophets I've been sheltering. You don't even know about. So there were at least, what is that? My math may be weak, 700 other Obodiahs that we still don't know the names of. At least 699 other men or women doing the covert work of the Lord during that dark season in the nation of Israel. And I believe the Lord's saying, there's some Obadiahs in here that are doing the covert work of the Lord that will bless many generations hereafter. So I don't want you to feel insecure about what the Lord's put in your hand to do because there are some powerful people sitting in here doing powerful things with their life that don't show up on social media with six million followers. Because if you do that which you do for the kingdom of heaven in secret and nobody else finds out about it, your reward is in heaven. Where do you want to get your reward? On Facebook or in heaven for eternity? Do those covert ops. Do those hidden things. Do those secret things. Do more than you say publicly that you're doing. And your reward will be in heaven. I'm sorry. Hey. Hey. Come on. Oh, yeah.
Okay, so what the Lord told me when he said don't give up, what he said to me specifically was, Sarah, I don't want you to give up. I want you to show up. And so what he was saying is I want you to show up as a mom. I want you to show up as a wife. I want you to show up in your job. Whatever it is you've, I've given to you, just show up and I will do the rest. Don't give up. Show up. And so, Lord, we want to say that to you, Lord. We want to say yes to you, Lord. We want to say yes, Lord Jesus, to what you've put in our hands, what you've given us, the children you have given us to shepherd in our lives. Lord God, the parents you have given us to take care of, our husbands, our wives, Lord. We want to say yes to our jobs, Lord, the things, our friends around us, Lord. We want to say yes to you, Lord Jesus, and whatever it is you've given us. We don't want to give up. We want to show up. We want to just show up and know that you are going to powerfully do what you want to do in and through us, Lord. Come on, let's stand up and respond. Minister Tim, can you come up? Right now, you need to respond to the Lord. Well, you don't have to. If you want to miss it, you don't have to. Oh, Lord, you're good. Lord's speaking to us, isn't he? He's stirring up those things inside of us. Just respond with a yes in your heart to the Lord and those things that he's speaking to. Man, that's a good word. Thank you, everybody who came up and shared. It's all good. Thank you, Jesus. And there's some things, you know, like you just, you really want to, you feel like you just really, really need to respond to the Lord and need some some more prayer. You want somebody to, to pray with you further on. Here they are up front. Respond to the Lord. Come on up. If he's speaking to you that you need to throw off that thing that's been holding you back, making you feel less than because you're in a covert situation and you want some prayer into that, come on up. If you're in an area where God is saying you need to be bold and speak something and you've been holding back because of that, you feel like you need some more prayer for that, come on up and get prayer for that. If you feel like you just need some ministry and encouragement further because you're discouraged, come up, get up, get prayer for that. Thank you, Lord. Go in the blessing of the Lord.